I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the biggest stories in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On this, do you like good football? Yeah, yeah, edition... Spotlight on PSG's superstars off to a flying start in the French Liga. But we're hearing through the grapevine that not much longer will they be one for all and all for one. Also, spotlight on this new La Liga season. Yeah, yeah. So far, which of the big three in Spain looks the sharpest? And spotlight on the best of the teenagers lighting up the European leagues so far this season. Yeah, yeah. So in a moment, we will talk about PSG. But first, we've got to have a big welcome back to On the Continent, the one and only Lars Severstone. Well done. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank new you very season, much. I was Lush. just going to sit there and just milk that applause for a bit longer. I was gonna, you know. <laughs> well, uh, hold on thank, a you, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate there, it. There is a lot to talk about uh, from your part of the world, Norway. Mm. Uh, we could be talking about a walrus called Freya, but... <laughs> Should we focus on Buda Glimt, this uh, small club from the north of Norway that have done remarkable things over the last couple of years in European football? Yeah, no, straight in with the Norwegian propaganda here, of course, as always. Buda Glimt uh, played Dinamo Zagreb in the first leg of their Champions League playoff this week in 1-1-0. And it is, I mean, it's something like 15 years since the last time we had a Norwegian team in the group stages of the Champions League. So just hearing, I know it's just a playoffs, but just hearing the hymn uh, before the game in a Norwegian stadium is just really strange, and uh, but, but nice. And uh, the funny thing is, a lot of Norwegian fans who are not Bode Glimt fans find them slightly find themselves slightly mixed about this, because of course it would be amazing for the country and for for the football to to have a team in the group stage. Would also mean that Bode Glimt get a pile of money, <laughs> and they're already probably the most smartly run club in the country. And, and and giving them something like twenty million euros or whatever you end up with in the group stage could just skew the competition for a decade if they play their cards right. So it's one of those for rival fans. A lot of people feel we should be happy about them and supporting them, and a lot of rival fans going, "Well, you know, we'd we'd like to maybe win the league at one point as ourselves, and and that might not happen if they make it." 
Um, Dynamo Zagreb will be looking at this and thinking it's only the first leg. What's going to happen in yeah, the second leg? Yeah, for sure. And it, uh, that's another sort of slightly surreal thing is that, again, Bodo Glimt, a team that not that many years ago were in the second tier in Norway, uh, came away from this game against Dynamo Zagreb, who are, you know, a pretty serious European force. They've, they've, uh, they've uh, upset some big teams in the past and always produce good players. They came away from this game feeling, you know what, 1-0... We could have done better here. They had chances to score more goals. Uh, so, but, but it, it is a good starting point. They won't have the advantage of the artificial uh, pitch that they're used to in the return leg, of course. That that'll be a very different, um, very very different kettle of fish. But um, it's it's a decent starting point, and I think they're they're more than good enough to do it. Yeah. Whilst we've started the preamble, uh, this edition of On the Continent with Norway. We may as well bring in Portugal. They are the why not right the, the Norway of the, the, the Bacalao Kings of Southern Europe. We, we catch no. the fish, they eat it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good line. I'll use it at some point. The reason I want to talk about Portugal, Andy, is because of this young midfielder that's just been signed uh, to Wolves, Nunes. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, um, Matis Nunes has been really great for sporting. Uh, Brazilian-born, um, qualified for the Portuguese international team, uh, naturalised now. Huge part in them winning the title the season before last. And I think in most other seasons, they would have won the title last season as, as, as well. But, but Porto were excellent and just edged them out. I mean, a lot of Premier League clubs have been looking at um, Matis Nunes for a, a while, and quite rightly so, um, because he can fill that defensive midfield spot and bring the ball out, dribble round players. He's a terrific passer over long and short range, but he can play a bit further forward as well and, and, and score goals. And I think you look at the fact that there are a lot of, I, I guess, sort of social climbing type Premier League clubs who were looking at him who thought that he could help them push on to the the next level. Wolves have been looking a bit stale for a while and now they've leaned on their Portuguese connection twice in a little over a week, really, signing Gonzalo Gedge first and and now Nunez, who should both make a, a huge difference to, to their team. I, I think Nunez will be a big hit here. And when we think of Portuguese players adapting much quicker to the Premier League nowadays. I think that's indicative of the fact that Portuguese football is a bit more physical than it used to be. Um, Ruben Amorim, the coach of sporting, is part of that. Sergio Conceição of Porto, as we've talked about before, is is, is part of that. And when you look at uh, players like Bruno Fernandes, for example, how they've settled right away. And if you look at, say, go back a decade and say when Nani arrived at Manchester United, there was inconsistency. It, it, it took a while. I think there's, I think, genuine hope that Nunez will be very impactful for Wolves straight away. It is on the continent and everything does make sense because there is another Portuguese link to the conversation that we're going to have now about PSG, uh, the star team in France, of course, in Ligue 1. And we'll come on to that because Renato Sanchez might be one of those players who were caught in the, you know, Portuguese players being able to deal with the Premier League or not uh, question. Mm. Come on to that. But the first thing I think a lot of people will be wondering about PSG, they've won their opening two games of this new season with five goals each time. And yet their de facto sporting director, Kylian Mbappe, one of the greatest footballers in the world, if not the best, he seemed to have the hump when they beat Montpellier 5-2. And that is going to stick to him, isn't it? That... Um that title of de facto sporting director rather than someone who we just want to be a figurehead of a new, far more sportingly and politically healthy project. But Andy, if it was a much more healthy sporting project, then your star player wouldn't be the figurehead of it. He would just be a player, which is kind of the point here. Uh, yeah, and really. that's the point that he's made as as, as well. He's said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a player. I'm just always going to be just a player. I think when you look at the the signings that they've made, they've got uh, Luis Campos, um, the real de facto sporting director. Um, he's, he's a consultant officially. And um, Christophe Gautier, who we worked with at Lille, the, the, the new coach. And of course, they're going back to play Lille uh, this weekend, um, the, the previous um, champions. Um, it's, the, the signings have got their fingerprints all over them. So I think that's what makes PSG feel healthy at the moment. They play really good football under Galtier. It feels that they're 
not as heavily leaning on star players as they might have done before. Um, there's not so much pressure even in midfield under Marco Verratti now. I think they've signed very well in midfield with Vitinha, um, Renato Sanchez, who you mentioned. Uh, Fabian Ruiz is coming as well from, from Napoli. They've got all the tools they need. So I think you're right to ask, has Mbappe got a bit of a face on? That was definitely the perception. Um, it's his first game of the season, of course, uh, against Montpellier. Um, he had a penalty saved. <laughs> and of course, Neymar later scored one, which obviously led to the flurry of quite unstable people on um, Neymar fan accounts. Going, what sort of club does Neymar not be the first choice penalty taker, etc., etc.? Uh, perceived beef between them. Um, Mbappe had a, a bit of a grumpy look on him, even when he scored the goal, which of course people are going to make a massive thing of. Um, it seems, um, through what Christophe Gautier said in multiple reports, that he's actually dealing with some personal stuff, um, which um, affected his mood. But every little microaggression, Lars, is going to be huge going forward, as it always is at PSG. Yeah, but I, I, th- I think you're almost underselling the Mbappe grumpathon here a little bit, because it wasn't <laughs> just that he took a penalty that got saved and then Neymar took the next one. He was clearly trying to take the second one off Neymar. And there, there, there is, we have a second penalty gate here. And, and I know you sort of, you skew away from that sort of hyperbole and tabloidy nonsense, Andy, and God bless you for it. But uh, I think you, you got to remember we had the first penalty gate to PSG when Neymar came in and took the penalty-taking duties of Edinson Cavani, uh, which caused a, a bit of a rupture in that dressing room and, and was never really fully f- fixed uh, until Cavani eventually left, of course. Uh, whereas, of course, now you have the supposedly... Kylian Mbappe is now the first-choice penalty-taker, uh, but the, the way it's being reported is that Neymar is the second one if... Mbappe is not on the field, or if it was Mbappe who got ch- who won the penalty, because of course it's a sort of football truism that if you win the penalty, you shouldn't take it. Um, whereas uh, the way they've tried to explain this, because what happened was Neymar missed the first, well, sorry, Mbappe missed the first one, and then Neymar they got a second penalty, and Neymar just picked up the ball and said, "This is this is me. I'm having this one," uh, which is kind of not not exactly protocol. But you'd think uh, now being the figurehead of the team, whether he likes it or not, maybe. Mbappe should have showed some, could have showed some leadership qualities, and go. You know what? We're going to win this game a hundred nil anyway. So go have near a penalty, Neymar. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but instead, they had a little bit of an argument, and clearly didn't, <laughs> <laughs> clearly didn't like each other very much. On the well, clearly weren't getting on on the field. And, and add that to that sort of, it's gone a little bit viral, and it was just a very small incident in the game. But there was a moment on on a counter where. Mbappe wasn't played the ball. He just kind of stopped running and threw his arms in the air and like, ah, what, what am I even doing here if you're not going to pass me the ball? So, so clearly, it, it's entirely possible that this explanation that he has a, he's his his personal stuff and he's a little bit rumbled by by something going on, but he's not. Chandi, I'm old enough now to remember when Mbappe first sort of came on the scene and we used to talk about how liberating it was to see a player that talented who didn't have any sort of diva tendencies at all. And that has certainly changed, I think we have to say. And uh, certainly it's hard to see. Paris is a big city, but is that club big enough for both him and Neymar? That's the question. Uh, given the fact that... not not Messi obviously has to play. He's there for another season at least, probably. And then you have two more players, neither of whom runs a lot off the ball. I, I, I keep harping on about this. I don't think there's any feasible way of carrying three players who don't do much work off the ball there's no. in the bigger games. No. Uh, which makes it perfectly sensible from Mbappe's position, having just signed a big new contract and been made, in inverted commas, the director of football or been given a bigger say in sporting directions, to want to push Neymar out because he wants to play with Messi while he's there. <laughs> and he wants someone else to be in there to do a bit of running and instead of Neymar. But it's, that, it, that, it's, that it is still a mess. That, that, that question is really interesting that you asked there, Lars, uh, about has Mbappe changed? And I think it's clear he has got a bit of PSG in him now. You know, does that happen at another club? Does his demeanour shift in that way at another club? It's almost, it's almost like he's the, he's the Anakin Skywalker of European football. You know, oh, this incredibly days. powerful character who is being sulky. influenced by these waves of darkness. Doesn't like sand. 
<laughs> you know that, that, that that's is... what for the Star Wars fans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's 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 the question, isn't it? Uh, and it's a really good point. Just very quickly, Andy, look, because if he has got PSG running through his veins now, and he's clearly the person, the matinee idol of PSG, how can he ever leave that? club do you know what i mean anywhere else he goes he won't have that level of freedom well there's it? the sense that he's burnt bridges at, at real madrid certainly while florentino perez is there at least well i would say that's the exact reason he should leave uh, because i don't think it's healthy for him his development as a player to become this uh to become this prima donna who sort of ah you don't pass me the ball i will not run in this counter attack anymore and it's like so you know no one else can can take penalties and this isn't you know this isn't who he should be. And I, I think actually getting out of, of PSG uh, and into a, a, a much, at the end of the day, a much bigger club and a much bigger institution at Real Madrid w- would have been really good for him and go to a place where he's not the only superstar and he's not the focal point of everything. But instead, he sort of doubled down and signed this new contract that makes him more powerful than ever in that team. I'm saying this as someone who has made fun of PSG a lot over the years, and I looked at them with horror this summer of them appointing <laughs> Christophe Galtier and, and making really, really sensible signings and, and hiring an, an actual, you know, sensible football advisor, yeah, sporting director, football advisor, a consultant in Luis Campos thinking, gee, it's a time for, is PSG actually getting serious? Because with the financial backing they have, if they start behaving like a normal, proper football club, they could be unstoppable. Uh, but they still have this... Uh, this issue of these these sort of divas they have to figure out. And I always sort of... It seems almost every summer Nasser El-Khalifi does an interview where he says, well, we will no longer tolerate superstar behavior at PSG. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, <laughs> maybe put some money where your mouth is there. There you are making fun of PSG again. But that's great because as you can all hear, we do have a lot of fun here in on the continent but you can join in that fun as well you can tweet us at any time uh, during the course of the week at football ramble at dotton adebayo at andy brassel and at Lars severston as indeed sean has done and <laughs> he's he's asking the right question if neymar is on the chopping block because of this beef oh, supposed beef between him and mbappe if neymar's on the chopping block is that why he's actually playing very well here at the start of the re- of the season? I think Sean's got something there because yeah. it's, it's it's partly that I, I I don't think there's any doubt about it. The, the fact that he's turning thirty, um, he has to work out how he wants to define himself. The fact that he's World Cup year and he's got something very big that is going to define him as a player and as a legacy to to aim for. But you're right. Like, where can he go? I, th- I think it's he was. It's, it's the fact that they that they they would consider dumping him. But where do you dump him? He so was... basically, he's nowhere to go now. What we've always and David Cartledge talked about this a few weeks back, and I think we might have mentioned it last week. The thing with Neymar, once you actually get him to knuckle down, you will see few hard, harder working players. No. You know, he's he's someone who can grab a game by the scruff of the neck, not just with his ability, but with his desire. Now, I guess the thing is, how does the balance of power shake out? I think if Neymar is prepared to knuckle down and submit to a slightly subordinate role behind Mbappe, recognising it's Mbappe's team, he's actually got the tools to do it. It's just whether he's willing to submit to it. He was sublime in this game, I think. Oh, he's he been was, brilliant so far this yeah, season. Yeah, uh, man well, of the match, he's, he's looked fit, he's looked engaged, yeah, yeah. he's worked off the ball. Yeah. It's incredible. And well, that's, what, that's the what, irony here, though, if you're talking about trying to balance out that team. In terms of work off the ball, Neymar does a lot more than both Messi and, and Mbappe. So, so if you're going to drop one of those three to, to make the team more uh, hardworking off the ball, Neymar is actually the one you should, like... Stick in, but obviously there's no way you're dropping Mbappe and Messi is Messi. So, I mean, this is, it, it is a really strange conundrum for, for Galtier to deal with. And I also think just in terms of just in terms of dealing with the situation, Galtier is a very good coach, done fine work at Saint-Étienne and at Lille and at Nice, but this is different. Like, they're dealing with egos of this magnitude who have been mollycoddled to the extent that some of these players have been. I think that's a real test for him. Oh, s'il voit, il l'a vu! Oui. Kylian Mbappé! Oh! Kylian Mbappé! Il l'a vu! Ça 
fait 4 et ça fait peut-être un quart de finale pour l'équipe de France, 68 e minute The finances of football uh, dominates our conversation sometimes. Last week, some of you might remember we were talking about Barcelona. Th this was the situation with Barcelona next week, beginning of the Spanish season, La Liga, and they didn't know if their new signings over the summer, the likes of Robert Lewandowski uh, from Bayern Munich, could actually get a game at all season because they hadn't registered him. They couldn't because of their wage bills now. Where are we at with this, first of all, Andy? Where, where, How did the Spanish first game of the season progress? They got a lot of those players over the line uh, after, after after freeing up further funding. Um, as, as we spoke that last week that they were going to try to do, we didn't know whether they were going to be able to do it in time. Um, they did. That They were not able to register all of those players. Uh, Jules Koundé couldn't play. Um, they kept a clean sheet against Raya Vallecano anyway. Hooray! They didn't score against Rayo Vallecano <laughs> with Dembélé and uh, Rafinha and Robert Lewandowski available. What I think is is quite interesting here, and yes, I think it will take time. <laughs> there Sorry, she guys. is. I probably have to let her out into the hallway. I think <laughs> <laughs> she's sat there by the door. She wants to go. Yeah, she, he, she's, she's very, camera. very unhappy with the way Barcelona are running things. <laughs> Given the, the, the fanfare that there was, of course, with these signings, having actually got them on the pitch, there will be a degree of disappointment that you end up with a nil-nil draw at home to Raul Vallecano. However, I think, one, you have to bear in mind that it's going to take a while for it all to gel because they have brought a, a load of new players in. Two, I think, if I not comparing them to the best of Pep Guardiola's sides. But remember when Pep Guardiola took over at Barcelona, he um, got one point out of his first two games. They lost at Numancia and then they drew, drew the first home game to Rafing Santander and they went on to have an incredible treble winning season. Again, not saying that will happen to Barcelona. So I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater and get, get too overexcited about it. Memphis Depay is probably going to go looks like um they're, they're going to just write off the last year of his contract and he'll probably end up going to juventus um pierre emerick Aubameyang is still interesting chelsea a lot and a couple of other premier league clubs well, he's going to come back or just going there for a season or so? possibly well he's only been there since january yeah, hasn't indeed. he i mean they, they were always likely to bin him at the end of this season because they've got an option to extend his contract at the end of this season i don't think they'll take it but of course javi and this is why you don't have managers buying players, why you need a sporting director. Because Xavi wants to keep everyone. Knowing that of is course. not possible. Knowing that is financially not possible because everyone in the whole world knows that Barcelona have got a load of financial problems and need to slim down. But I can understand particularly, Lars, why Xavi doesn't want to get rid of Aubameyang. Because, of course, people look at the star attacking players they've got and you know there will be some out there who'll say, well... Aubameyang and Lewandowski worked very well at Dortmund. Maybe it could work again. And I, you know, maybe there's something I, in that. But I think the thing with Aubameyang, he comes on against Rio. He has the best couple of chances. Now, of course, he's not involved in the game all round as much as he used to be. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, ever since he arrived at Arsenal, you know, he had a lot of games with very few touches. But he's dynamite in the penalty box and I can understand exactly why Xavi wants to wants to hold on to him and there were other players I would ditch if you're looking at the short term there are other players who I would ditch ahead of Aubameyang yeah but but maybe not other players who I mean he'll be on a pretty solid chunk of money wage-wise I would imagine and they have Ferran Torres who can play up front you, you've had a great time this summer sort of jumping up and down on Barcelona and their financial shenanigans I'm not gonna there's not a lot to add to that but I do think it's strange that for all the money they've spent, whether they actually have it or not, for all the levers pulled, you still come into the season with like, do we actually have a right back? It's like, is, is, are, are, is there any, you end up with Arahu on right back and and you want to get rid of Dest because he's not really doing it for you. And, um, and this is Sergio Roberto turning out uh, in that position, perhaps as well, still playing out of position. It's kind of weird. And then you look at who they're linked with. It's like, oh, yeah, we want to sign Bernardo Silva because apparently they don't have enough midfielders. Still don't have a right back, really. Very strange behavior. Uh, I, I do find this club very hard to work out sometimes, I, I have to admit. 
What about Real Madrid? How has their season started? In, um, I guess, a very characteristic way. Now, of course, they've not gone crazy in the transfer market and they're going to make some of their signings wait, I think. Um, maybe the short term for Aurelien Schumani changes if Casemiro were to go. That's some interesting transfer speculation this week, linking him with enormous wage rising going to Manchester United and you would have to say th there has to be a financial imperative for him to go to Manchester United at the moment because there's certainly no sporting reason bearing in mind um, the, the, the success he continues to enjoy at Real Madrid but that he didn't he didn't play the first game um, at Almeria I, th I think they still miss him when he doesn't play actually and we saw that in the Champions League last season. Uh, they're a goal down at Almeria who've just been promoted for a, a, a long time in that game before Lucas Vasquez got the equaliser. Brilliant free kick from David Alaba to um, win them the game. But they made hard work of it. And Real Madrid love to make hard work of it all the time. But they always find a way to get there. I, th I, th I still think they're, they're favourites for, for, for this Liga. But can you see from the opening game how they've had to rearrange their thinking? Because, of course, they spent most of last year planning on getting Kylian Mbappe to Real Madrid. And then at the last hurdle, he decided to stay at PSG. But it, I would have thought that Real Madrid would have had to rethink um, their, their entire setup as well, a result of that I, on the pitch. I think uh, maybe they've had to rethink what they were going to be, but they've not had to rethink what they are. I think I know exactly where they are, really. And, you know, it looks as if um, Asensio is going to stay, even though he's out of contract next summer. Um, that Danny Ceballos, who is impressed by the work he does for the squad, is is going to stay. So if stuff is changing at Real Madrid, it's changing very, very gradually. Osh? Well, the the front three in this game looked very familiar. It was uh, Vinicius Jr. And, and Benzema and then Valverde providing some running in a sort of... Uh, slightly improvised sort of right-sided role. The, the interesting thing, I suppose, was that both uh, Kamavinga and, and uh, Chouameni started this one. And and it'll be really intriguing to see how they sort of deal with that changing of the guard in midfield, because obviously that midfield three of Casemiro, Kroos and Modric has been incredible for a number of years and can still probably keep going for a while. But they have Kamavinga, who's looked so good when he's come on and was so important to their Champions League campaign last season. And they now spent a lot of money on Chouameni, who, of course, was exceptional in France. And it's clear that they want to try to integrate those and try to you know, start mixing that up. But, but I think you're right, Andy. The, 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 the Casemiro, weirdly, Casemiro is maybe the one that's almost hardest to replace. Mm. Not because Modric and Cruz aren't amazing players, but just because that number six role is so difficult. Like, it requires so much of you to be at the base of that midfield. You have to be, the, your positional sense has to be flawless. You have to be able to keep uh, possession uh, circling. You know, there's, there's a lot of sort of in, unusual skills that you need. And uh, I think both Kamavinga and Chouameni would probably struggle to take that role on straight away. It's it's a very challenging position on the field. Yeah, I think the other thing with Casemiro is how he always sort of walks this tightrope of disciplinary ruin as well. It's it's really impressive. I, I I don't know how he does it. He's he's always seems very very close to getting sent off, yet very rarely is. And I think that is a, a skill in itself, being able to judge the match situation, judge what you can get away with as well. That that's something he does brilliantly. But yeah, it did feel that, I mean, you spoke quite rightly last about how Camavinga was so great for them and really influential in a couple of those Champions League games this season. But it's a different role, isn't it? Starting and being part of that starting midfield three rather than being finishers. Like Carlo Ancelotti used his faster, younger players. So we're talking about Rodrigo on the right-hand side as well as Camavinga as well. He used those players as his finishers. If they've got to start the game, that's a completely different role. And of course, they will have to evolve. They will have to move on. We'll see how Eden Hazard works out as maybe not not quite one of those sort of finishes, but a sort of Benzema locum slash alternative at various points of the the, the, the season as well. But they've, they've got good options. Large, a lot of talk about Casemiro possibly going to Manchester United. Will that happen or not? I mean, if the money that's being reported is correct, if you're Casemiro, I think you have to consider it. Uh, this is talk of two extra years on the contract compared to what he has at Real Madrid and doubling his wages, 
which even if by even if Man United is a big step down from Real Madrid at the moment, it's a lot of money for a, for a player who is you know coming. Uh, okay. Not coming towards the end of his career, but he's closer to that end, put it that way. And I think it's a hard thing for him to pass up. If we've, that's correct, of course. We've talked about Real Madrid. We've talked about Barcelona. There are three teams in that relationship, of course. Atletico being one of the big three in La Liga. We've had a tweet from Sam who says, out of 10, guys, out of 10, what's the likelihood of Alvaro Morata and let me just add for people who don't know, he's, you could argue, playing for his career as well at, at, at Atletico. What's the likelihood of Alvaro Morata having a redemption arc at Atleti and becoming one of the best strikers in La Liga? It's a great question. It's, right? Yeah, it's really <laughs> interesting. It's really interesting. And the, the way he started this season, few would have picked it. Uh, I think it's is, is fair to say um, they've been Atleti have been hoping to bin him off to Juventus um, all summer. Juventus have have, have wanted to, to to bring him in. Um, since then, they've got Philip Kostic, who is a different player, but they're also looking at Memphis as as, as well, and it seems that's that's quite close. So maybe they've accepted that Morata's not coming. I won't believe that. Alvaro Morata is going to stay at Atletico for the season in, until he's there on September the 2nd. Um, but he's looked great. He's looked really great, considering that he didn't really want to stay. Simeone didn't really want him back. But I think the key thing here, and let's bear in mind that in that first weekend of La Liga, of the big three, Atletico are by far the best performers. Away at Getafe, not particularly easy. And they don't just beat them 3-0. They create a ton of chances. They could have beaten them way more. And the click between Morata and your guy, Joao Felix, is real. Thanks for bringing Joao Felix in. Three three assists for Joao Felix. And so you get the first two goals from Morata. Very, very good finishes. And they seem to... They seem to be on the same wavelength. They're both two very intelligent footballers. No one's quite as intelligent as Joao Felix, but they're two very intelligent footballers. And then when you get Griezmann on later, who you're talking about playing for your career or playing for your career at Atletico, he's certainly doing that as well. Now, they're obliged to buy Griezmann for £40 at the end of this season, which seemed a much better deal at the start of the, the loan with obligation to buy than it does now because he didn't have a great season last season if he plays 50% of the game so 45 minutes or more in 50% of the games they have to sign him for that amount of money we know that Simeone loves him there are people on the board at Atletico who would like him not to play those games and them not to be obliged to spend that money but again good pre-season has come on scored a terrific goal to to clinch this game isn't it interesting how Atletico have always been like kind of the ugly duckling of the big three and now all these undesirables are maybe making themselves indispensable and of course wouldn't it be interesting if they went on and won La Liga this season with that horrible wonky striped strip well this is what I was going to come on to never mind the ugly duckling that's largely part of the world but what about the drunken designer you know (laughs) How difficult is it <laughs> to draw a straight line with a ruler? I maybe you're always going to get a lot of free strikes. kicks because it always looks like your shirt's being pulled. <laughs> it also <laughs> makes you a bit dizzy, I suppose, if you're the opposition. <laughs> Hang on. Were they not supposed to be in stripes? Looks like they've gone to hoops. No, they're back to stripes. What do you think of it, Lars? The kits? Um, the kits, I have literally no opinion. It's not. <laughs> you, you got to throw to Andy for stuff like that. I really don't care. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the aesthetics of it. It just, uh, it just doesn't really seeing. register on my radar. I actually right? like it, to be honest. Um, uh, I think, what, what a nice twist on strike. But I did think this was. I completely agree that this was the result of the weekend. And Andy's touched upon it, but let's just to, to put some meat on, on the bone. I mean, Kitafe don't concede three at home very often. Uh, last season, only one game at home that where they conceded more than two goals. They averaged less than a goal against the game at home. So, so, so going away to Getafe, I know they're not a big, big name, but going there and scoring three and winning that comfortably is a it's a really difficult thing to do. And and I did one thing was Morata playing well. I think Wow Felix looked more at ease. Is that a phrase I can use? Because the thing with Wow Felix at Atletico Madrid is that there's always been. 
terrific moments where you see, oh my god, this kid is very talented, and and, and periods when you think, oh, it's it's finally happening. But but he's always there's always been this sort of sense that he doesn't really fit in. We've spoken about it so many times on this part. Here, I thought he seemed to have a pretty good connection with 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 Morata and the way he sort of found his runs for the goals. You know, that you can imagine that working. And we're talking about a redemption arc for Morata. I think Morata as a striker is always going to frustrate you. Because he's not. I mean, he's one of those who, without getting too statty, he pretty consistently underperforms his expected goals. Like, his XG. He's just not a very good finisher in terms of being consistent in front of goal. And I'm not sure that's going to dramatically change now. But what he is is a player who gives you a lot of other things. He works really hard. He makes a lot of runs. He moves defenders out of the way. And he makes himself available. And... You know, him him and Juan Felix, I can kind of see that working up to, up front for Atletico. It seems pretty balanced with them too. Así recuperando Atletico, la viene metiendo Juan Felix para Morata, llega Morata, Morata. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills, or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. This is what I've been looking for throughout this edition of On the Continent, uh, talking about the young stars who are lighting up the early weeks of the European season, at not least, uh, talking of redemption arcs, at not least Bino Gittens, who started at Reading, went to Manchester City, is now a Borussia Dortmund. Uh, the sort of Manchester City Borussia Dortmund connection is clearly mm. very much there. How, how has he done so far? Great. Um, start to this season by uh, Jamie Bino Gittens and um, the previous coach Marco Rosa, as you say, was was a fan. Um, got him involved in the in the back end of last season when Dortmund really didn't have that much to to play for. Um, but there was always the sense that Edin Terzic, young coach coming back to the club, very popular, was he understands Dortmund and he understands what Dortmund are about, and he was always going to 
promote younger players. But Bino Gittins did plenty in the back end of last season to make you want to play him again. Um, was great in the youth league. Um, was held back by um, uh, quite a, quite a bad injury. Was held back by the fact that he arrived in the middle of COVID. So if you talk about Jaden Sancho having to adapt uh, to, to, to life in Northwest Germany, I think it was even more difficult for, for Bino Gittins. But he's such an exciting player really direct sort of dribbler got his first goal um for the first team last weekend with a great shot from range at Freiburg albeit one that Mark Fleck and the goalkeeper really should have saved and it feels already that he's going to be a big player for them this season now another player that's going to be big for them this season talking of the he's the, 18 the, the by the way isn't he so yeah he's, he's teenagers, grand, right? grand old man at 18 <laughs> uh Yusufa Makoko st- still only 17 uh, as, as, as stands and um He's in a slightly different situation because him and Marco Rosa never really saw eye to eye. It didn't f- really feel as if Rosa trusted him. Um, and s- certainly Makoko didn't feel that way. It's why he's out of contract at the end of the season. He's not signed a new one yet because he was never going to sign one, I don't think, while while Rosa was in charge. Terzic, the feeling between them is is very different. He's valued by, by Terzic. Came on, um, set up, um, the two goals that weren't his for um, Bynard Gittens and uh, Marius Wolf scored the the middle one with a, with a brilliant finish and he is an absolutely terrific finisher. Now it seems as if Makoko has been around for a really long time of course because he made his Bundesliga debut youngest ever Bundesliga player at 16 years and one day oh, youngest ever Bundesliga crazy. scorer and because he's so young last season he became the youngest player to score for Borussia Dortmund's second team as well because when he was trying to get back to that first team Fettel and he scored for the second team, he was, he was still so young, he became their youngest ever scorer as well. But I think the connection with him and Terzic, who has improved the atmosphere at the club, um, is, is really, really important. I think he will eventually sign on the dotted line, maybe some sort of medium term arrangement, because basically he wants to play before he puts the ink on the paper, which I, I, I think is fair enough. But you know what, Lars? He's these two, fantastic as they've been in the opening weeks of the season, are probably, well, definitely not even the most eye-catching teenagers in the Bundesliga at the moment. No, I mean, we have to talk about Jamal Musiala then, haven't we? Uh, who is still young, uh, but is just looking uh, looking extraordinary. Uh, he's um, he's still 19. Uh, I want to give I want to give Bayern some credit, actually, for for just giving him quite as much game time as they have uh, over the last two seasons. He's, he's, he's gotten quite a lot of minutes uh, for a guy who's who's very, very young. And of course, Bayern being the sort of super club that they are with the resources that they have, there's always the temptation to just spend money and bring someone in. Uh, but they've given him a lot of time and he's really just, uh, he's really developed beautifully and looks looks amazing. Um, I think someone, God, I forget who it was. Someone on, on, on the popular social media website, Twitter, uh, said in, uh, that he's he's like uh, in a chessboard. He's like the queen, like because he can kind of go in every direction and do a little bit of everything. Uh, whereas everyone else has sort of more limits to their movements. Musiala just looks like he can do absolutely anything, and he seems to be throwing. I thought it was really interesting last season that they started moving him deeper and using him as a kind of number eight in the in the system. I think that's a position where where I think Hansi Flick sees him as a as as a potential starter for or someone who can start for for Germany in that role. But he seems to really thrive now. In the absence of, of Lewandowski, Bayern have started the season in a really interesting sort of 4-4-2 formation, but with, with Mane and Nabri playing up front. So you don't have a clear centre forward there. You have basically two wingers starting as forward and kind of drifting around. It's very it's very fluid and, and fancy and cool. And, and, uh, and uh, Musiala has had uh, one of the attacking midfield roles behind it, whether you want to call it a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-2-2, uh, but, but one of the attacking roles, wide roles behind it, he, and he's really thriving uh, in that role and has been absolutely fabulous so far. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The the way he's played, it's, it's a little bit like Carlo Ancelotti's 4-4-2 at PSG and Musiala is the pastore, a, a sort of central midfield player who's playing... Already better, we left. should stress. <laughs> <laughs> playing playing wide, wide off the left and... Um, yeah, he's he's just got incredible license to do whatever he wants there. And as Lars says, what makes Musiala so exciting and so convincing is the fact that he can go and pick up the ball in, in deep positions and just take control of the game from there. You know, he 
doesn't need any invitation to get involved. He's someone who believes that he should be leading the game. It has always looked like that for Bayern, which is why he's thrived in so many positions. I mean, you know, there's been talk, as I said, about Hansi Flick playing him in the centre of midfield. I, I guess part of that is because of the injury suffered by his, his teammate, um, his club teammate, Leon Goretzka, because ideally Germany would start games with Kimmich and Goretzka in the, in, in, in the middle and then you fit in Musiala from there. I'm still not quite over Musiala not choosing England it's instead of, of Germany. It's out of order. It's, I mean, it's, it's upsetting. Because the thing is, it's in your mind every time he plays because he's just... It will be. He's just so good. When the World he's Cup so comes and we face Germany and it comes to penalty shootouts, mm-hmm. you know who's going to take the winning penalty. It'll be out of order. Are there to be fair, other... if it goes to penalty shootouts, England have done pretty well in that game. <laughs> um, I, I, I do think when, when he picked Germany... We did. I'm, so I don't want to be wise after the fact because we were all looking at it and saying he's clearly a very exciting talent. But England had a lot of players in that sort of attacking midfield role, and yeah. you could see that from his perspective, getting into the England team would be would be tricky. And so the the DFB could make not promises, but say, listen, you you have a chance here because the, the the road to the first team is maybe a little bit shorter. And again, I don't know the guy personally, so I don't know what he prioritize the most the point i'm making is i do wonder if 10 years from now we will look at the attacking midfielders who were ahead of him in the queue and we might look at where he is in his career and think huh <laughs> there are some uh, some regret some decisions were made that were maybe that we maybe regret at that point is, is and it's, it's the legacy of yogi love it's really the last thing yogi love did for for germany put the hard sell on musiala to to commit to the the german national team but the, a part of the reason it's in your mind is because when you see him being interviewed on German television, and of course he's German, he's excellent. Every so often, he's like, oh, what's, what's the word in German? He's like reaching for the word. <laughs> he's English through and through and he knows it. Finally, gentlemen, I have to ask you to suggest a game of the week for us all to enjoy uh, this weekend. Who wants to go first? I can do. Uh, it, it seems a it seems a nice enough link, uh, since we were just talking about the the young exciting talents in the in the Bundesliga. Um, I, I, this is almost like a cultural game of the week, more so than abs- in quality and, and importance. But Union Berlin play RB Leipzig, which is such a fascinating contrast of of of, of, of ethos of, of style of club philosophy of of everything. Uh, there's going to be a significant amount of aggro here. I think it's fair to say, at least outside the pitch, uh, with uh, with the Union Berlin fans and and what RB Leipzig fans uh, travel. And bearing in mind that Leipzig's not that far away from Berlin, so it's almost semi semi derby ish uh, kind of. Certainly in terms of club uh, culture and philosophy, Union Berlin, uh, a club where sort of the authenticity and the link with the fans is very important. Famously, the fans all donated blood. <laughs> to help the club uh, with the, with the stadium and stuff like this, so it's it's uh, all that the fan culture is very important and very strong there, and of course, slightly judgy and cruel types like myself might say that RB Leipzig has no culture; it's an entirely artificial construct. It's a it's a fascinating football experiment in terms of how they play and the way they bring young players through. But, but but culturally, it's just a non-entity, really. Uh, at least so far, it'll develop its own culture over time. So so the 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 contrast between the two teams is is pretty extraordinary. And you know, RB Leipzig, they have a lot of good players. This team now, and they've started with two draws. They've only got two points after the first two games. So they they really need a result. And having to go away to a team whose fans really hate them. I mean, that's not too strong a word. They absolutely detest them with, with the fire of a thousand suns. So it, I think there should be there should be fireworks in this one, is what I'm saying. And what would you eat with it? We always need a food pairing to go with your selection. Got to eat something at halftime, don't we? Just, just, have a, just have a kebab. You're in Berlin. Have a donut kebab rolled up in the thing. It's easy for halftime. Good, no, good no hassle. Old, good old German cuisine, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it is. Kebabs were invented in Germany, as you well know, Andy. What would you choose for Game of the Week? Is it really a kebab if it's not a Lucas Podolsky shop? Um, you know you know what? I'm, I'm going to go for a quick food as well to go with this game because it's going to be absolutely lightning. Sunday night, half past eight, is on British telly. Um, 
Porto versus Sporting. First classical of the season in Portugal. Um, Sergio Conceição, little bit sort of in a in an angry zone at the moment. I always enjoy him when he's in an angry zone, but he's in an angry zone firstly because of his son, uh, Francisco, going to um, Ajax and the stick that certain fans have given him for that, which, uh, well, he's not been particularly forgiving of that, of course. He's going to be protective of his, his, his son. Um, then the fact that he, he feels he needs more players in the squad. He needs at least one more midfielder. This is the Porto coach, of course. Yeah, and um, of course they're defending champions. Um, Sporting pushed them really hard last season. Um, and like I said, in any other season, I think I would have... Uh, won the Liga because they're, they're, they're really good um, they've lost Matis Nunez um, they've also had the fact that um, Pablo Sarabia has gone back from his loan at PSG he was very influential for them last season Marcus Edwards um, former Tottenham player has, was always being lined up to replace Sarabia when Sarabia went and he's, he's been pretty good in the opening weeks of the season so he'll be good to, to watch as well basically there's a lot going on just have a Bifana Portuguese steak sandwich. You won't have time for much else. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.